We got it worked out now? Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. <laughs> yeah, I think that's better. It's not the first time. All right, I think we're going to get started. Um, all right, let's open our time together uh, in a word of prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for this beautiful morning on which we celebrate uh, the resurrection and new life uh, that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ, um, even as we see uh, the new life of the season springing out uh, around us. And we thank you for your mercy and loving kindness to us, that you have not treated us as we have deserved, but you have um, shown the abundance of your love by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to take our sins upon himself, to justify us, um, and by the gift of your Holy Spirit to regenerate our hearts and uh, renew our lives um, uh, through him, making us the holy people you've called us to be and um, making us fit for our hope of eternal life and glory with you. Uh, teach us now, we pray, by that same spirit. Uh, instruct us through the words of your servant Paul, but ultimately your words that you revealed to him uh, by your Holy Spirit. Um, give us insight into not just what Paul said, but to how uh, it should apply and change and redirect our lives according to the sound doctrine of your gospel. Uh, we ask this. In Christ's name, by the power of your spirit, amen. All right, so today in our study of the pastoral epistles, we're actually going to finish Paul's letter to Titus. Um, so as we're coming to a close of the book, let me just briefly um, recap what we've talked about thus far. So if you'll remember um, back in, in um, chapter 1, Paul, in the first verse, starts by emphasizing that he is a bondservant and apostle for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life. And one of the major themes of the book of Titus is this link between knowing the truth but um, uh, demonstrating that, that knowledge through a godly life, through godliness, um, devoting uh, the church devoting itself to good works. Um, and that link between knowing the truth and living a godly life is immediately applied uh, in chapter 1 to the need to have 
uh, overseers and elders in the church to, um, to help bring order to it. Um, and those men should be lovers of people and lovers of good. But um, their lifestyles are to um, be connected to their holding fast of sound doctrine. And those elders were needed on the island of Crete because as we saw uh, also in chapter 1, there were false teachers and uh, alarming numbers, um, rebellious, insubordinate. They're unwilling to be subject to God and his law. They're selfish, aiming at nothing but uh, money and personal prestige, uh, enriching themselves even at the expense of the downfall of entire families. Uh, they're despicable. In spite of being such sticklers for man-made rules and regulations, they ultimately disobey God's holy law. So with that concern about um, false teachers, Paul in chapter 2 turned to how different classes of people in the church, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and slaves, should behave in accordance to their belief in sound doctrine. So that connection between sound doctrine and right behavior continues. Not a single class or group of the church must fail um, to come under the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit. Our life and teaching must contrast sharply with that of the contaminated and unbelieving enemies of the faith who were doing such damage in Crete. Paul reminds Titus that our lives must be lived purposefully so that what he does is not only intrinsically good and in accord with sound teaching, but also so that it has effect for good with reference to the gospel. We train to renounce our ungodliness in the present age as we hopefully await the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave, him, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So um, that's been the focus thus far. And today, uh, in chapter 3, we really get to the core gospel message. You know, he keeps referring to sound doctrine and contrasting this, um, this false uh, speculative me message of these other teachers. So, you know, you know, it kind of begs the question because he hasn't given us a detailed explanation of what is sound doctrine. And so today we're going to get a really clear and concise presentation of the gospel. Um, and it's uh, the way the book is a little in, inverted from Paul's normal order. Usually he gives us those indicative truths and then the imperative commands. Here he's given us the imperative commands first, and but all those imperatives are leading up uh, and are based on this core truth that we see in chapter 3 with the next of these trustworthy sayings that Paul presents in the pastoral epistles. We had three trustworthy sayings in 1 Timothy, and we have another trustworthy saying today here in Titus 3. So let me read Titus chapter 3 for us. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, 
passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for the person who stirs up divisions, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to, spend, to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All those who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So um, chapter 3 uh, starts um, with uh, a series of, of, of imperatives. He, Paul tells um, Titus to remind them, and then he gives a, um, this list of um, behaviors that he wants to remind the Cretans of. So what are some of the things um, that Paul is wanting to, you know, clearly these are instructions that have been given uh, earlier to the Cretans, but he wants to bring them out now. Um, so what are some of those behaviors that Paul wants Titus to remind the Cretans of? Okay, so starting off, let's, you know, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. Um, yeah, why do you think that's, uh, you know, both uh, the Cretans, but also us? Why do we need to be reminded to be submissive to those who have, and obedient to those who have authority over us? Yeah, Ryan? Okay, so yeah, so the, there's this emphasis throughout um, Paul's epistles that the rulers over us are instituted or put in place by God. They're subject to his power and authority, so again, they, it's not a license for them to ill <laughs> just because he gave them power, but it's our, our um, charge to obey those rulers. And again, I think at this point he, he's particularly... In, um, operating in the sphere where they're under the authority of this pagan Roman empire. So it's not, you know, be subject to the authorities you like. <laughs> be subject to the authorities over you. Um, good. What else would we say about this? Yeah, Dave. 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's not an unconditional obedience. And Acts, in particular, makes it clear that if our ruling authorities charge us to do something that is, you know, anti-Christian, like, again, Roman Empire, um, Christians started to get particularly persecuted by the Roman Empire because their failure to worship the emperor, which was required. Um, you know, Jews were excused from that requirement because they belonged to an ancient faith. But Christians, you know, once they kind of came out from under the umbrella of, of Judaism and, oh, you're not Jews, you're a new faith, well, <laughs> we predate you, so you have to worship our emperor. And they said, you know, no. Um, so it's that kind of authority. Um, and as we think about it, so it's not unconditional, they can command you to do things, but it's getting to the attitude even of our, when we res, you know, resist the, the unlawful authority of the state over us, that we do so in a submissive fashion, <laughs> you know, if that makes sense. Like, you know, um, I can, can resist, like, um, uh, you know, I could, can object to something the state does and then be perfectly submissive when the state comes to arrest me, like to not violently resist. All right, you know, to be conscious. I'm disobeying you because of conscience and principle, um, but I'm still going to be subject to the penalty of disobeying. And I think, you know, as our country moves further and further away, I think that's the kind of commitment um, that New Testament Christians are trying to emphasize, that we would be willing to um, to resist, but also be subject to that authority, um, which sometimes means we have to will suffer penalties, um, and we don't like that. <laughs> we would rather rebel and not have any penalties, <laughs> um, or try to like, okay, I don't like this government, then let's create another one, um, or you know, I don't like this king, let's depose him, and um, it and it's more that how you be. How, how can you be faithful to the message of the gospel um, and, and clear about the principles of Christianity, but also submissive to the authority over you? And, that, I mean, taxes, I mean, it's the weekend, right? <laughs> the, the weekend of the year where, um, you know, our, our biggest obligation that our federal government, um, uh, our biggest obligation to the federal government comes this weekend. And like, as much as I don't like things that our federal government has done in the past year, I, it, I'm still required to pay those taxes. I can't just absent myself saying, well, I don't like you, so, uh, you know. Um, no, I'm, I'm still subject to these authorities, even when I'm principally against some of the things they do.
Yeah, it's resorting to that description we get in verse 3 of what we were before the gospel, you know, that, and I love that, that line, you know, uh, you know, hated by others and hating everyone, <laughs> like that kind of language. It's like, yeah, you, you, you were being hateful outwardly toward other people, and other people hated you for it. And, and rather than demonstrating the change that's come up uh, um, uh, about in us, because of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Like, we are not what we formerly were. We've been changed. And one of the ways we demonstrate that change is how we treat others. Um, and we treat them with this mindset that, you know, we are like them. Um, like, before the gospel, that's us. You know, we were just as disobedient um, as they are, and, and yet God still showed us mercy. Um, you know, it's that... Um, like the, the parable Jesus gives where the guy has the enormous debt that gets forgiven and the first thing he does when he leaves, you know, like having this unpayable debt uh, is, is find the person who owes him a relatively much smaller sum and starts to choke him and say, pay me what you owe. And it's like clearly he does not understand <laughs> the, you know, he, see himself as a recipient of great mercy because if he understood that message, he would in turn be merciful with those around him. You know, he doesn't see himself as someone who was disobedient, but now through the changing power of the gospel can be obedient um, and to, uh, to be faithful because of the change. And again, it's the way that um, uh, the, the emphasis is, and we'll see how this flows out of that doctrine um, our behavior, how we behave toward the state and others, is a reflection of how we see ourselves uh, and understanding of how we've been changed by what Christ has done for us, um, uh, by the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to behave these ways anymore. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, and it's the way that, um, again, that we're supposed to be, in many ways, the best of citizens. Like, you know, that, you know, as, again, as far as the state doesn't, or the ruler over us doesn't tell us to do something that's unchristian, we're supposed to be model citizens in our behavior. We're supposed to participate in the doing of good works beyond, um, you know, uh, just supporting good works or, you know, um, I mean, one way I, I think we often struggle, like, well, you know, um, I'll, I'll give money to, um, you know, this person because they're worthy of receiving it, but I won't give it to this person because I think they're unworthy. Rather than having this principle of, well, I was unworthy <laughs> and God showed me great mercy. It's like we, we should treat other people not according to the way they deserve, um, but treat them out of this abundance of love. Because if we were treated as we would deserve, we would be suffering the eternal wrath of God. But God didn't treat us as we deserve. He 
treated us with love. And that's supposed to be the principle that governs how we treat other people, that the, our motivating factor should be love and the peace that comes through the gospel, you know, a, a, abounding in good works to others rather than being, you know, parsimonious with them, you know, to, just as the spirit has been abundantly outpoured upon us, so we're uh, to be abundantly outpouring the love of the spirit uh, that's within us. Yeah, Jay. Faithful, not faithful. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, and it's the way these, these instructions, um, you know, flow out of the, the, the sound doctrine. Like these good works are going to flow out of the sound doctrine he gives us in the later chapter. Like when we understand ourselves as formally, and I, you know, I love this list. Um, you know, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Um, you know, those don't sound like very lovable people. <laughs> but, you know, that's what we were. Um, you know, that's what we are apart from the change that God has wrought in us. Um, and if we don't understand ourselves um, and the great mercy that we've received, then, yeah, then we're going to be disobedient and, and, and um, uh, hateful and spiteful toward other people, think ourselves better than them, you know, all these kinds of, um, you know, we'll be quarrelsome with them rather than exercising this kind of gospel patience. Um, you know, I, this comes up uh, for me a lot in parenting or teaching, like, you know, because I've had teachers sometimes, like, you know, that, you know, if somebody doesn't know something, like, boy, you're an idiot. Why don't you know that kind of, you know, that kind of ex superiority kind of thing, rather than, like, from the position, well, I once didn't know that. You know, at some point, I had to learn that. Um, and so the focus is on, not on despising someone for where they are, but to look at them as what they could be, you know, if they too exercise belief in Christ and could experience the, you know, the growth from the whole, you know, regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So to treat people not as they're according to, again, what they deserve, um, but to treat them with the same kind of love that we undeserving people receive. Other things about this first series of imperatives? Um, yeah, Frank. Yeah, you know, it, it's the idea if you 
you know, if, if you won't submit to the authorities you can see, how can you really say, you know, you're submitting to <laughs> the one we can't see? Um, you know, and it's, uh, I again, it's this kind of um, the change uh, of, of heart. You know, even though he's talking a lot about behaviors, um, the root of those behaviors is this heart change, um, or the word he's going to use, um, regeneration in the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, you were once like this. Um, it wasn't because of your righteousness or your works that made you worthy of the gospel. It's because of the mercy and loving kindness of God who sent his son to deal with your sin, to give you the kind of justification and righteousness that you didn't deserve, um, to change your heart by the Holy Spirit and continually renewing you um, through that spirit, sanctifying you, training you in, in good works and to put away unrighteousness, as he said at the end of chapter two. Um, and so you're, again, it's the way that our words and actions have to be consistent with one another. Like how can you say that you're, you're changed if you're going to act visibly in this way. Um, again, to use the example like, you know, the, the problem was in that parable is clearly he, he didn't see him, um, he hadn't been changed. Like he received great mercy, but he, he didn't take it to heart. Because if he had taken it to heart, he would have, it would have changed how he acted toward other people. You know, that's how the, we know these false teachers, part of how we know they're false is because the way they're treating other people. Um, how they're acting, that as Jay said, they are disobedient, they're insubordinate, um, and clearly part of the sign that their heart isn't right is, is these outward actions. Yeah, and it's the idea, um, I think I've used this example before, um, it's from Jonathan Edwards. He talks about the difference between like um, external knowledge and internal knowledge, or experiential knowledge is actually what he called it. And he, he used the example of like, you can know all about the properties of honey, like you know what its physical components are, its chemical makeup, um, you know, you can know all about it, but you don't know it unless you've tasted it. Um, and it's that I, you, know, you really know it at that moment because you've internalized it. Um, and it's the same way, like you can know I'm supposed to do this and I'm supposed to do that and like knowishly know, uh, you know all what you're supposed to do, but you, if you're not doing it, <laughs> then you don't really know it. You know, that knowing and doing are connected. And again, it's the way that our behaviors are the reflection of, of this internal change in us. Like these series of commands um, aren't possible without the work of, of God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
that we see in verses 4 through 7. Um, and I love how, um, as we start moving those verses, how Trinitarian it is. This is one of those places where we see uh, uh, not just the gospel, but the work of all three members of the Trinity in bringing about this change in us. Yeah, and uh, while, uh, you know, verse 12 of chapter 2, I really like how it's very similar to what you say, training us to renounce ungodliness. Like, it's not emphasizing, like, you know, you've got to be doing these things. It's more about what you're, you know, stop doing. <laughs> you need to stop doing these things. Like, um, it, it's to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It's, it's not the to-do list, it's the <laughs> what not to do list. Um, you know, it's... Yeah, it, it's a process. And, it, it, and it's, it's, the point is, you know, the change of, of heart and attitudes um, that leads to, you know, behavioral change. And it, again, it's you don't change the behaviors to change the inside of the person. You know, you, you, you change the inside of the person with the gospel, and that should ripple out in change behaviors. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, yeah, but the principle is, but even with the three-year-old, like, you know, it's the point of obedience um, isn't just because I, you know, want to force you to act a certain way. It's because, well, it's good, you know, that's, you know, even when you're disciplining a three-year-old, you're still, you know, like, why, why, why? <laughs> um, well, because it's good, <laughs> you know, it's the way God wants it to be. Um, so, like, even there, it's, you know, um, emphasizing that uh, it's, it's because it's, it, your heart needs to be shaped a certain way. Well, let's get to um, uh, the, the meaty part of, of the passage. Um, so, um, Titus 3, uh, as I said earlier, gives us the fourth of these trustworthy sayings that come up. And um, so he says in, uh, at the beginning of verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. So, uh, yeah, what exactly is the, what is the saying that is trustworthy? Um, so if you, just to go back um, while you're thinking about that, um, 
So the, our first trustworthy saying in 1 Timothy was, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. Uh, two, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Um, sorry, I'm blind. I've got to figure out where my third one is. I know I'll mark it. Uh, it's uh, well oh here it is it's chapter 4 verse 9 uh, the saying is trustworthy um, and deserving of full acceptance for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people especially of those who believe and now this one, the saying is trustworthy. So what's the trustworthy saying? Uh, read that. Six and seven? Why would you start in six? <laughs> now you're getting into... Okay, so the, the heirs is trustworthy. So we had somebody uh, uh, vote for. Okay, so to take it back to to emphasize that um, not only are we, we saved, um, but it, it goes back, we're not saved by works, um, but the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we've got a vote for starting at six, we've got a vote for starting at five. <laughs> okay. You go back to when, where? So that whole section is a trustworthy saying? It's getting a little unwieldy to be a trustworthy saying. <laughs> so and, and all those answers, uh, different people, probably the most common is, is starting with verse 4 with the but, you know. Um, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works, and notice it's all one sentence. Uh, not works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Try diagramming that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that whole sentence there. Um, uh, and, and what are, yeah, how does this, um, so if we, if we were to take the most common answer, which is four through six, um, some people go back and include three, you know, so they include this kind of saying, um, for we ourselves were once foolish, so, um, uh, again, I, I don't know that 
you know, I don't want to spend too much time on the debate over it. I want to emphasize more time on, you know, what is, um, how does this trustworthy saying relate to the emphasis on godly living and doing good works that we see uh, in the rest of the book? Yeah, Dave. Yeah, it's a summary of the, it's a summary of the gospel. Um, uh, I, I was telling, um, well, I think I've told a couple of people this. Uh, when we go to Presbytery, and they're examining someone for the ministry on the Bible exam portion, um, one of the common uh, questions to come from the floor, um, and I can't remember if it's just one person who asks the same question every time, or, <laughs> um, but you know, one of the questions like if you had. To, to take a person to one passage in, in the Bible to explain or summarize the gospel, you know, where would you go? Um, and Ephesians 2 is, is a really frequent one. And, um, and you know, Titus 3, I, I think, is a, a, a great one. Um, for, for as you say, Dave, it's the summary of it's not works righteousness. You know, it's, it, you know, it's, 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 it's not by our works. That we're saved. It's because of you know justification by. I mean, we get justification by faith. <laughs> um, you know, not works. Uh, um, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in us um, that emphasizes this process of sanctification and renewal. Um, you know, and it's 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 for this goal of this eternal life that we're heirs to. You know, it's um, it's such a great short summary of the whole of the gospel message. Yeah, but all right. So, but if we look at the trustworthy sayings in a whole, they're they're more focused on principles rather than behaviors. So the trustworthy sayings as a whole are almost these kind of doctrinal elements that you know some people even you know talk about liturgical application, um, like here the emphasis on washing and the pouring out of the spirit. Like he is incorporating part of their baptismal formula. And it's on the trustworthiness of that, that imperative. So I would, you know, my, why I don't think it's one and two is because those are imperatives and the trustworthy sayings are about indicatives. Like the truth, these are the core truths that lead to behavior. But I, I'm just saying it's the it's because of the sound doctrine. 
you know, and, and if we think of, you know, it's the trustworthy saying is the sound doctrine that everything else comes out of. And at, when the comparison comes, you know, with these false teachers, um, you know, who, I mean, look at the comparison we have. Um, you know, uh, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So it's contrasting the excellent and profitable teaching or sound doctrine with the dissensions, quarrels, speculations, genealogies. So it's kind of contrasting the core message that leads to you know, their divisions and dissensions and, and, and bringing, um, uh, uh, bringing division to the church rather than bringing the union that comes from reminding people, look, you know, this is why we're here. We're here because while we were unlovable <laughs> um, and undeserving, God showed his mercy and loving kindness by sending his son, saving us through his son, Jesus Christ, justifying us through him, re regenerating us and renewing us in the Holy Spirit. And we're here not just for the purposes of doing good works, but we're here, you know, the purpose of this is so that we'll be heirs of this eternal life. You know, it's, it's kind of putting the present in the, this cosmic big picture of the gospel. Like he, he hasn't just saved us um, for the here and now, but he saved us for eternity. Yeah, it's the so that, you know, that um, insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Um, and, and it's the way that the principle of the gospel should lead to these good works. Um, and the church should insist that its members do good works, not on the basis of that's what you have to do to get in, but that's the basis of, 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 you know, demonstrating one's belief. Like, you know, if your works are not, to go back to what Scott said earlier, your works aren't consistent with your words. Like, you know, I, I often say as a ruling elder, I can't judge a person's heart. I, I can't determine, like, who in this room is saved or not. I can only um, listen to what the words they say and then look at their lives and see if their, their lives are consistent with what their profession. I can only judge the outward. 
aspect. And, and the outward should be a reflection of the inward. Um, and that's the principle um, that's expressed here. You have to have both sound doctrine and godly behaviors. But if you're just emphasizing do this, do that, um, and you're never talking about the sound doctrine, which those good works are, that's where you're going to start creating divisions, going awry, because you you know, you start quarreling over, well, you know, how many steps can I take on the Sabbath? Um, you know, you know, all these kinds of debates over, I mean, because we can get into endless um, uh, debates and discussions over what our behaviors should be. And that's not the point <laughs> of what the church should be doing. The church should be doing is preaching this gospel, you know, this trustworthy saying um, that leads to changed lives, changed behaviors. Um, if we put the cart before the horse, you know, that's where we're going to start getting in trouble. He wants to put the emphasis on the driving impetus of good works is this gospel message. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Because without that, I'm foolish, disobedient, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Like, you know, e even when I'm, you know, acting like I'm good, if I don't have that gospel change, I'm hating other people, even as I'm like, here you go. <laughs> um, you know, it's the changed heart because of the gospel that leads to the good works he's trying to emphasize. Yeah, and it's, it's coming out of the gospel rather than the path to the gospel. You know, it's, it's coming out of what God has done for us, not trying to get God's attention to say, save me. <laughs> it's coming out of this realization that I, I was a despicable person, um, unlovable. Um, I, I love the description in Ezekiel that um, the picture he paints of, you know, he... Uh, Ezekiel uses the um, adulterous bride image, but he takes it back even farther than Hosea. And he's like, it, you were an unwanted child, bloodied and tossed in the dirt. Um, and God came and picked you up and cleansed you and put beautiful robes on you and took you for his bride. And then you get the adulterous bride example. But it's like you were tossed out, you know, dead in, in dirt. Um, you know, you know, an unwanted child um, cast out by its parents to die, and God saved you. Um, and and then what's going to be your response? But it, if you forget who you were, <laughs> then you're tempted to, you know, again start. Well, I've got all these beautiful robes now, you know, and uh, you know you start looking at all the good gifts that God's given. 
um, again, keep using that Ezekiel thing, and, and your heart starts to drift to other places rather than going back to how you're, you who were despised are, are loved, not because of how beautiful you were, um, but because of the love that God showed toward you. Um, and then, so how, how can you, being conscious of how despicable you were, apart from the love of God, turn around and treat other people as they're despicable? You know, it's to having that understanding of the change that's taken place because of what God's done for you changes how you treat others. Um, I think I've used this, I keep using things I know I've used before. Luther um, would talk about, you know, good works. God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does, you know. And it's the way that, you know, good works don't change our relationship to God, but it's the way that our changed relationship with God pours out. You know, it's like we've received love from God and, or like here, the language of the outpouring, abundant outpouring of the Spirit. And it's like it, it flows through us. You know, that love we've received, that Spirit that we've received, is supposed to abundantly flow through us and change our behaviors and change our attitudes and actions towards other people. Um, it, but it's coming, you know, again, it's not that we're... Um, adding to our righteousness by adding this good work and that good work and we're kind of filling up the cup of our righteousness. It's more the, <laughs> it's being poured out on by God to us and it's like, <laughs> you know, we can't hold it in. Like, that's the way it, it should be rather than the way we often, well, we add a little more and a little more and, uh, you know, I'm kind of raising the meter and it's like, you know, no. <laughs> He's poured it out and it's, it's flowing through us by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Jay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't really realize parliamentary rules applied here, but I'll, I'll bring my Robert's Rules of Order next time. Yeah, and it's the, the way I, I often describe, like, um, you know, we're growing, as we grow in grace, we, I'm, you know, I, I kind of see it as, you know, we're growing in the understanding of how, how much, you know, God has done for us. It's not that we're growing in the sense that I'm getting better and better and I don't need God's, you know, salvation as much. Like, I see the depths of my sinfulness more and more every day. So every day, I'm, I'm growing and understanding um, of what God's done for us. Um, and I know I've, I've used this one before. Like, uh, Teresa uh, uh, um, Avila um, uses the idea of, you know, it's, it's the way our, our hearts are this 
this crystal mansion and until the light of Christ comes in, we don't know how dirty it is. But once that, that light comes in and we see the filth, you know, um, the more the light, you know, the more we um, correct our ungodly behaviors and, and see, you know, our lives start to change, it's, it's not that, you know, the house is becoming less dirty, more light is shining and we see dirt we, we missed. <laughs> um, um, and, and the more light, uh, the more the light of the gospel shines in our hearts, the more we see the depth of our sinfulness, which means, you know, it pushes us back to the gospel. Again, it's, it's the idea we don't ever get to a place where we're like, well, I don't have to, like, I can get away from this trustworthy saying, like, I've mastered that and I can go beyond you know, that's the dangerous point where we think we can live apart from this gospel or that we've arrived to the point where we don't need that anymore. You know, we've been sanctified enough that, you know, uh, I've mastered it. Um, uh, um, I was talking um, to, um, to to Lee a, a couple weeks ago um, about this cancer book I've been reading. And uh, there's a way dealing with sin is like dealing with cancer because, um, you know, the moment you think you've, well, we've, we've got cancer beat um, is the moment cancer has four new spots that you didn't know about. Um, it's the idea, it's, you know, you, you um, uh, this author uses the example from Alice in the Wonderland where the queen tells Alice, no, here you have to run twice as fast. Uh, to get anywhere, because you're running just to stay in the same place, <laughs> um, you know, and you got to, you know, so if you stop, you're going backwards, and it's that idea. If you stop thinking you need the gospel and, and stop, you know, you know, going back to this core understanding of who you are and what God's done for you, you know, it's not you've progressed, you know, now you're starting to go backwards. Now, Jake.
Yeah, and to use um, Augustine um, has the image of the church isn't the gathering of the good and the righteous. The church is the gathering, of, you know, the hospital for the people who realize they are sick and in, in need uh, of something they, you know, they can't cure themselves. You know, and if we look at, think of it that way, like we're all gathered here because we're all broken. We're all gathered here because we're all sinful. Um, and need a savior, you know, we're all sick and need to be made well. We're all hated and hateful, um, and, and we need to be shown and experienced love. You know, that totally flips the, the identity, and it becomes a, yeah, it, it's, it's the way that, um, you know, being here doesn't make you more worthy of God's mercy than not being here. You're here because you acknowledge you've received God's mercy. Um, it, you know, it, it's not, again, it's not a sign of your deserving. It's a sign of the change of heart and the renewal of the Holy Spirit that physically, um, and, and in terms of here, deservedly, you're no more deserving than anyone else of this love and, and mercy, but you've been given it, and other people can can receive it too, um, and so that's the good news. Um, it, it's not that you know we're the people who've gotten all together. No, it's we're the people who realize how broken um, and needy we are, and this is this is the only way we can be made whole. Yeah, and that, that patient long-suffering, understanding, again, it's part of the, the, you know, having this understanding of I was exactly the same position, and it's not because I was smart and figured it out, and they're dumb because they haven't figured it out yet. You know, the gospel made a change in my life, um, you know, and, and so you can be patient and long-suffering Knowing how, you know, it wasn't till Steve Ferry reached his 19th year, <laughs> you know, I had 19 years of, of non-gospel experience, um, but God waited 19 years, suffered my sinfulness for, for 19 years. Um, you know, he, he could have rubbed me out deservedly long, long, long before then, but, you know, he was, he was willing to wait, you know. To think of other people, you know, God saved them in their, you know, 60 years, 70 years, you know, that God is patient. I mean, look at Israel's history, how long-suffering he was, how patient he, even when they were rebelling and trying to get away from him, that he remembered his love for them, that he kept faith even when they were faithless. Um, and that's the kind of attitude, that, that long-suffering patience, like, um, and I think, um, you know, especially, you know, Jay was talking about outreach, like to sort of not think, 
of outreach as a instant was like, I go somewhere, share the gospel, and I, you know, I, I need instant results. You know, make a decision right now, um, because that's not the way. You know, I can't tell you how many times I heard the gospel before it finally, uh, you know, God finally convicted me of my sin, showed me myself, showed me the mer- grace and mercy of the gospel. Um, you know, and to sort of think of, you know, it, that we have the same kind of patience. Because I think oftentimes it's sort of like, well, you didn't respond, so I'm done with you, rather than this kind of long-suffering, committed engagement. I'm going to keep loving you, um, talking to you, being your friend. You know, um, I'm not, you know, my love for you doesn't um, uh, rely upon your responding (laughs) to the gospel this very second. That No. God was was long suffering, very patient with me, and I know my God will be long patient with you, um, and to keep, you know, demonstrating the love of the gospel to that person, because we again, out of the understanding that God was long suffering and patient with us. All right, well that's a good note to close, uh, Titus. Uh, so next week. Uh, we'll turn to the last of the three pastoral epistles. We'll start with Second Timothy. And again, I, I did them uh, out of order in the book uh, to sort of keep the chronological order. So Second Timothy, as we'll see, kind of clearly comes last. Paul's travel plans will have changed <laughs> from the travel plans we see him hoping for at the end of Titus. Um, but let me close our time in, in this book with prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for what you've done for us so abundantly um, that you haven't um, pitted out your love to us in the meager portions of what we deserve, um, that you haven't poured out your wrath upon us in the great measure that we deserve, but instead you've poured out your great mercy by your Holy Spirit, um, regenerating our hearts, taking our dead hearts of stone and quickening them, making them alive, making them hearts of flesh, um, uh, making us alive to who you are and what you've done for us, that you have dealt with our sin uh, on the cross, justifying us by the saving work of Jesus Christ, that he um, uh, took uh, the penalty of our sin upon himself, and he clothed us with his righteousness. Uh, and having had our great debt to you removed, that we should uh, in turn remember that we too were hateful, undeserving people, uh, that apart from your gospel, we would remain so. So as we deal with people who are hateful toward us, um, who seem undeserving of mercy and love, that we should uh, treat them with the same kind of love that we've received. To see them not as, uh, not to see ourselves as spiritually superior to them, but just uh, seeing ourselves in the same hospital and that we have um, 
we have an understanding of our true condition that they have yet to, uh, to realize, that they don't see their need. They don't see that they're, they're um, sick, uh, they're sin sick, that they're cursed with this uh, uh, wrath of God for their ungodliness, um, uh, and that you have shown us the depth of our disease and has made a cure for us in Jesus Christ. And that, um, it's that hope for them that we hold out, um, that we don't hold ourselves forward as spiritually superior, but we hold for the superior one, the only one who can heal them of their uh, wants and needs, um, the only one who can make them whole, and the only one who can make them heirs to this eternal promise, uh, to which we hope uh, in Jesus Christ by the renewing power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.